bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, February 26th, 2019. It's hard to believe, but today marks five years, only five years, since then House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Dave Camp released a draft tax reform proposal. Camp's proposal included revising the long funding tax credit, which included a repeal of taxes and bonds, while also repealing the historic tax credit and renewable energy production and investment tax credits. The proposal did not mention the new markets tax credit. Now, Camp later introduced the proposal in legislative form, basically as a message bill, before he retired from Congress. Now, no action was ultimately taken on the Camp bill, but Ways and Means Republican leaders did use the Camp proposal as a framework for the tax bill that was eventually enacted in 2017. Now, turning to this week's podcast, we have a lot of news for you. We're going to start with news about a high-profile stop on Senator Tim Scott's Opportunity Tour. That's a tour that he's been taking over the last year that highlights the Opportunity Zone's tax incentive. I'll also have news regarding HUD's announcement last week of an expanded pilot debt program for low-income tax credit projects. We also have news from HUD on a significant shortening of the notification period before a HUD physical inspection. After that, I'll have some brief news on the nomination of Mark Calabria as the head of the Federal Housing Finance Agency and some delayed CDFI fund bond guarantee deadlines. I'm going to close with several, I should say many, state-level updates. We have 10 updates from nine states, to be exact, covering opportunity zones, historic tax credits, and low-income housing tax credits. If you're ready, let's get started. Well, opportunity zones are continuing to make national headlines. Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Tim Scott last Thursday toured an opportunity zone in Senator Scott's home state of South Carolina. Senator Scott, as you know, was the lead author and champion of legislation to create the Opportunity Zones Incentive. For the past year, Senator Scott has been on what he calls an Opportunity Tour. He visits Opportunity Zones across the country to discuss how the incentive can bolster private investment in underserved communities. Now, Senator Scott invited the Vice President to join him on the Columbia, South Carolina stop of his Opportunity Tour. While in Columbia last week, they toured a site aided by Opportunity Zones investments. Now, Opportunity Zones funding helped build a movie theater and a strip mall that was vacant for nearly a decade. The vice president commended the local leaders who helped make the investment possible. The vice president said that the revitalized theater is creating jobs, opportunity, and energy in Colombia. Now, Vice President Pence also said that the Opportunity Zones investment will be a magnet for more investment and will attract more businesses to the area. Vice President Pence praised the Opportunity Zones incentive as helping address unique community needs by forming partnerships between the federal government, state government, local leaders, and local investors. The Vice President also briefly mentioned the White House Opportunity and Revitalization Council. That's a council that the President established by executive order in December of 2018. The council was created to help coordinate efforts and identify ways to better direct investment in Opportunity Zones and other distressed areas across the country. 
Now, there hasn't been much recent news about the council since it was created at the end of last year, and that's partly because of the shutdown. Now, you can find a link to the Vice President's remarks on Opportunity Zones in today's show notes. Senator Scott later appeared on Fox News to recap the Columbia stop on his Opportunity Tour and describe more generally how Opportunity Zones are benefiting communities. The senator said that so far this year, about 15 to $20 billion has already been targeted for private investment in Opportunity Zones. Now, as evidence of this, I will tweet out a link to our funds listing of Opportunity Zones, which is in the $16 billion plus range and 78 funds. Now, as Senator Scott put it, the Opportunity Zones attract more money to areas where the potential is high, but the previous opportunities have been low. For more information about Opportunity Zones, please visit the Novogradic Opportunity Zones Research Center. You can find it at www.opportunityzonesresearchcenter.com. Also, be sure to register now for our Spring Opportunity Zones Conference in Denver, Colorado, and also get your hotel reservations. We sold out our previous Opportunity Zones Conference, and we don't want you to miss it. I'll tweet out a link to that event as well. Now, in HUD-related news, Secretary Ben Carson announced last week that HUD would expand its low-income housing tax credit debt financing pilot program. Secretary Carson made the announcement at the National Association of Home Builders annual board meeting in Las Vegas. The next day, HUD published a notice that made it official. Now, the change could, or I should say should, mean faster and more efficient processing by HUD by trying to eliminate redundant reviews for low-risk long-funding cash credit transactions. Now, last week's announcement introduced two modified processing tracks for Section 221-D4 and Section 220 New Construction and Substantial Rehabilitation Loan Products. The Federal Housing Administration, which manages the programs, said the average processing time for low-income tax credit transactions is currently 90 days. This expanded pilot would cut down that processing time to 60 days under the standard approval process track and to just 30 days under the expedited approval track. Now, shorter application review periods would obviously be great news for borrowers as they can lock in better interest rates, especially as interest rates continue to climb and not get delayed in their financing, which can delay overall construction. Now, HUD said the expansion of the loan closing tax credit pilot is especially important during a time when loan closing tax credit equity amounts are shrinking due to lower corporate tax rates under tax reform. HUD said the somewhat higher leverage that is available to a loan closing tax credit development with an FHA-insured mortgage can help fill funding gaps and make the development financially feasible. Now, I should note that the pilot expansion is meant to encourage long-term investments and supports development in opportunity zones. Each pilot office will have a senior underwriter trained on the opportunity zones incentive and corresponding transactions to better serve projects and opportunity zones. But to be clear, this pilot is only for long-term tax credit properties, but to the extent that those long-term tax credit properties are combined with opportunity zones incentive capital, that opportunity zones capital will also benefit from the accelerated loan processing times. Now, these changes are expected to support more production and preservation of affordable housing, which is definitely good news. In other HUD-related news, HUD recently announced a policy to shorten 
the inspection notification period for public housing authorities and owners of HUD subsidized property. The current standard allows up to 120 days advance notice. That's four months or so. Well, the new standard will be only a 14-day notice. Now, in his published announcement of the change, HUD did say that this is an effort to encourage property owners to adopt year-round maintenance practices, as opposed to rallying to meet minimal thresholds after receiving notice of an inspection. I have included the HUD notice with today's show notes. In other housing-related news, today, just as I was recording the podcast, the Senate Banking Committee was voting to confirm the nomination of Mark Calabria as director of the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Now, the next step would be a full Senate vote. Now, that vote hasn't been scheduled, but would likely occur in March. Other nominations voted on today include nominees for Treasury Assistant Secretary for Financial Institutions and HUD Assistant Secretaries for both the Offices of Public and Indian Housing and Policy Development and Research. In community development news, the City of Five Fund this week published a notice that delays for a month most of the deadlines for the City of Five Bond Guarantee Program. The deadlines are now mid to late March. There is a link to the notice in today's show notes. In IRS news, Treasury has published final regulations concerning compliance monitoring rules for low-income tax credit developments. These regulations are largely the same as the proposed regulations from 2016. I have included the notice announcing the regulations with today's show notes. I'll also send a tweet with a link to the Novograd Breaking News email that has more detail and was sent last Friday. Now, I hope you're ready for a lot of state-level news, particularly concerning Opportunity Zones. We'll start in Arkansas. A bill was signed last week that conforms the state tax code in Arkansas with the Federal Opportunity Zones provision. Therefore, capital gains invested in Opportunity Funds will have the same tax treatment for Arkansas state income tax purposes as for federal purposes. Now, in West Virginia, meanwhile, legislation has been introduced that would exempt new Opportunity Zone businesses from state corporate income tax. The proposal would generally exempt corporations that are newly registered beginning January 1 of this year they'd be exempt from state income tax for the first 10 years of their operation. Now turning to Ohio, there a bill was introduced that would create a 1% tax credit for taxpayers who invest $250,000 or more in opportunity funds that work exclusively in Ohio. Now there would also be a possibility for an additional 2% credit if tax collections are increased sufficiently by the investments. Now in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis has proposed including Opportunity Zones in the areas eligible for state-funded charter schools. DeSantis' proposal would increase the number of communities eligible for those schools from less than 50 to about 300. Now, Previously, the standard was that the charter schools be near persistently underperforming schools. In California, meanwhile, a bill was introduced that would create a state office to support stakeholders in Opportunity Zones. The new office would also assist other geographic targeted economic development incentives, and the office would focus on boosting efforts to receive additional state assistance and resources for properties in these areas. Now in Mississippi, the State Housing Agency has announced that they'll commit 12.5% of its low-income housing tax allocation to properties in Opportunity Zones 
and this would be done for the next four annual cycles. And then in Connecticut, a bill would exempt historic buildings in opportunity zones from the state's Chapter 97A historic preservation requirements. This bill would also exempt distressed cities that have been unsuccessful in altering an historic building for five years from some of these requirements. Now looking beyond state-level efforts to address opportunity zones, we have a distressing bill out of Ohio. A bill was introduced that could have a significant adverse effect on affordable rental housing. The legislation, specifically, would require county auditors to value low-income rent-restricted residential rental properties based on their market value. That's instead of their lower contract rent value. For owners of low-income tax rental properties, quite simply, that would mean higher property tax bills and less feasibility. Now in Nevada, we have some good news on the state affordable housing front. Governor Steve Sisolak has included plans for a state low-income housing tax credit program in his executive budget for the next three years. Sisolak's proposal would allow $10 million per year for the creation or preservation of affordable housing, and it would start in the year 2021. Now, legislation to create the credit hasn't been introduced yet, but I will let you know when it is. And then finally, in state historic tax credit news, Virginia's governor has signed a bill that reinstates the $5 million annual taxpayer cap for state historic tax credits. The credit was uncapped until 2017 when a $5 million annual cap was set. However, the legislation making that change only covered 2017 and 2018. Well, this provision makes that prior two-year provision permanent. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. I do want to share with you that the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Coalition is accepting applications for its 25th, that's right, 25th annual Charles L. Edson Tax Credit Excellence Awards. The awards honor low-income housing tax credit developments across the country. The deadline to nominate a property is March 25th. I'll include a link to the awards application page in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.